starting a brand new series just in time just in time for the advent and christmas season uh so this series is going to be looking at some saints that the church recognizes and celebrates during advent all right so that's a mouthful because there's a lot of church jargon in that sentence (laughs) yes there is advent there's saint there's season all those kinds of things and maybe we need to stop ourselves because even though we are a collection of uh admitted recovering church nerds uh maybe not recovery recovery. yeah the the first step is admitting you have a problem but we haven't gone any further than that there is no problem (laughs) i can stop stop anytime i want um But so here we are, people who speak church jargon and who speak even liturgical church jargon, um, and we use words that sometimes other churchy folks and Christians use, and it's worth it every so often to stop and unpack, are we using words in the same way? Um, And especially that that big S word, saint, and that's one of those words that uh, Christians use, that that shows up, at least in English translations of the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, uh, every letter that Paul writes is to the saints at whatever church, Mm -hmm. but it's worth unpacking what do we mean by that, because some branches of the Christian family tree kind of use it in a very technical sense about these are particular people who've been canonized in an official process, others use it more broadly, and uh, maybe it's worth defining our terms a little bit, and even to talk about uh, what do we mean by the Advent season is, well, we're getting ready for this season uh, when the church has for 2,000 years, or maybe for like, maybe 1,500 years, uh, focused on the, the birth of Jesus and then getting ready for the birth of Jesus. Um, or the second coming. Or the second coming of Jesus, or all the comings of Jesus all at once and how they overlap. Um, but let's let maybe spend a minute of time talking about what, what do we think we mean? What do we have in mind when we talk about saints? What, is, what does it mean to be a saint and how, at least in our conversation, are we going to be using that language? Well, for me, as you know, saints have two very different connotations because I have um, half my family grew up Roman Catholic. And so you kind of have that idea of proper saints, you know, the St. Teresa's, you know, the various popes that have become saints over the years. Um, You know, those people that are canonized by the church as such, Mm -hmm. Um, which in the Catholic church, there's a whole variety of tests and various things that go about um, for one to become a saint. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, we recently celebrated all saints day sure in the church and so for us as protestants you know saints sometimes yes include those saints from mm-hmm. the catholic church that are canonized as such but also include um just your everyday saints we're all saints sure. sitting around this table sure sure we're um, also sinners we're also <laughs> sinners <laughs> let's just let, let's not forget that oh no 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 we're not perfect by any means mm-hmm. at least i'm not um but, you know, All Saints Day, I think, for, for most of us, is a celebration of, the, of those Christians who have died. Sure. And so it's just a, a Christian is also a saint. They're just not canonized as right. such by the Catholic Church. It, it's worth naming, too, that, like, from where, where we who, who come from Protestant branches of the Christian family tree get that idea from is when the New Testament, like I say, you know, Paul writes a letter to the Romans or the Corinthians, he'll address it to the saints at Rome or the saints at Corinth, and he's not talking about a select group of only the holiest of the holy who have little halos around their head. This is his way of talking about the followers of Jesus who happen to live in Rome, because 
Paul isn't isn't uh, silly enough or foolish enough to think that there's uh, only people who uh, are perfect and never mess up that he's writing to. But this is his way of talking about all of them. I mean, like you read any of Paul's letters, and usually he's got a gripe with, "Man, here's where you're messing up." But he calls them saints as a way of saying it, it's God's grace that makes us holy. The word mm-hmm. saint just means a holy a holy person or a holy one or something. But even this holiness isn't. Uh, um, it doesn't arise within ourselves. It's a gift from God. That God does something to make us, and that, that uh, it's God's claim on us that makes us holy while we are struggling in this sort of tension of being mess-ups and also people who God calls holy at the mm-hmm. same time. And the saints also often have something to teach us. Mm-hmm. Whether they are the canonized Roman Catholic saints or, you know, dear beloved grandmother who passed on yeah, last year, yeah. right? Um, it's something about their faith and how they lived out their life in Christ mm-hmm that we can learn something from on our own faith journeys. Yeah. In a way, I almost feel like this is an important conversation for us to have, especially as non-Catholic Protestant people, to say, for a lot, a lot of time, we Protestants have sometimes thrown the baby out with the Mm -hmm. Mm bathwater and been like, well, we don't do that stuff because we're not Catholic or Orthodox or whatever, so we don't talk about saints, uh, or we sort of dismiss it and and don't don't get into it. But to say, if these are part of the whole church family, if these are part of that giant family tree of followers of Jesus, then there are stories that are worth telling about what what ways people have lived out, what it looks like to follow Jesus in different times and different contexts. Like in a way that... In any of our families, there's probably family storytelling about, uh, you know, man, you know, Uncle Phil, he was, you know, and it'll be the great story that, you know, he fought in the war. Or man, you know, did you know that we got a second cousin who was an astronaut? Whatever the family stories are, and to hear the stories, sometimes they're heroic and big, and sometimes they're ordinary, you know, Mm -hmm. man, this is the way Grandma made dinner rolls. uh, But those stories get handed on as this is who we are, and this is the, the family we belong to. Um, and so we, ordinary, regular, everyday followers of Jesus, are saints, and yet we also sometimes tell the stories of, and you got to tell, you, wait till you hear the story about Uncle So-and-so. And, and, and in a way, I almost feel like when we tell the stories of St. Francis or St. whoever, um, that it's worth sort of thinking of them as aunts and uncles in the faith, that they have things to teach us, they mess up just like our regular aunts and uncles or whatever, but also that they're part of the same family and that we're connected to them, that they might show us some of what it looked like in their lifetimes Mm -hmm. to live out the way of Jesus. And I think that's, you know, you both mentioned that, you know, we're saints and sinners. Mm -hmm. And even those canonized by the church over the years, we're we're sinners too. I think a lot of times... When we talk about the saints, whether they're canonized or they're just, you know, great grandma or yeah. Uncle Joe or whatever, we, we focus all on the good things, which is the, the point of re- remembering a saint. But we have to remember that these people, you know, weren't perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Mother Teresa is a good example of mm-hmm. that, right? Um, I'm not sure if she's actually completed the canonized process. Is she actually a saint? or is she? I think she is now. Is she? All right, well... Mother Teresa, we all know and love Mother Teresa for all of the good works that mm-hmm. she's ever done. But, you know, we also have to sometimes keep in mind that she, too, struggled with her faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, too, sometimes did things that were counterproductive, I think, to the gospel. But she was still a saint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and maybe this is, if this, is, this is worth connecting and saying that the story of God's people should also include the, the the people of God whose stories are told in the scriptures. And every last one of those people we might oh, identify as a Bible hero is also a Bible mess-up. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, that, if, if that's how it is for all, you know, for the stories of Moses and Aaron and Miriam and Noah and, you know, pick, pick a, a character. They've got their flaws. And the mm-hmm. Bible never... 
um, whitewashes that. The Bible never sort of covers over and says these people were perfect, but like, nope, pick a hero, they've got uh, an Achilles heel. Um, sometimes they are glaring Achilles heels. Um, and if the Bible is that able to be that honest and to say, look, these people were people who sometimes had great moments and also had terrible moments, um, and yet it was God's claim and faithfulness that, that God's light could shine through them, that that's what it is to be the, the people of God today, to be saints mm-hmm. today as well. One of the things I really, really like about the pattern, uh, at least in our tradition, um, in, in a funeral service, is right at the time when uh, there's this traditional prayer of commendation, when it's sort of like God were giving this, this person into your hands, then when they were really all raised in your hands. But the way the person is remembered is, you know, we commend this, this uh, person into your hands, uh, you know, a, a sinner of your own redeeming, as well as a sheep of your own flock. Both are true at the same mm-hmm. time. And that it's not, we, we don't have to be embarrassed or be like, oh, don't let God find out this person is a sinner. No, like, we... There's this complete honesty. We are mm-hmm. always constantly, Lutherans beat this drum a lot, that we are mm. always constantly both sinful and justified at the same time. Uh, and that's sometimes a shorthand is we're saints and sinner at the same time. But so for all the people whose stories we'll talk about in the coming weeks, that's going to be true about them. There mm-hmm. are things that are worth uplifting about them, and there's also things that we can say, look how God works even in spite of them, too. Um, that reminds me too. I, I, while I'm on a Luther kick for a moment, um, this, this I'm outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I know this will be familiar to you at least a little bit because uh, Eric and I've had conversations about Luther's small catechism before. Um, one of the things that comes up in, in Luther's catechism, this sort of handbook on the faith that Luther wrote, um, and he talks about you know when we pray for God's kingdom to come or God's will to be done, he says you know basically uh, God's will and God's kingdom are going to come whether we are praying for it or not, that mm-hmm. it's not our magic or our ability to make it happen, but that basically Luther says, we're praying that God doesn't have to work in spite of us. And I think there's something about, mm-hmm. like, that's the way to sort of think about the stories of the lives we call the saints. That there, there are times when God has to work in spite of me. That, like, I'm being belligerent or hard to work with, or I'm mm-hmm. pointed in the wrong direction. And that doesn't thwart God, ultimately. God's able to even accomplish good things, even when I'm being a, a jerk. Um, but also, that there are people who have gotten it, and their moments were like, oh yeah, uh, I could be living my, my my faith out in this way, and those stories are worth upholding, and they're worth uplifting. And not in the sense that we have to copy them. And the, one of the temptations mm, yeah. is going to be, oh, you know, St. Francis did this, so therefore we all have to do this, or St. So-and-so mm-hmm. did this, so we all... No, it's almost to me like hearing how the same melody can be played in different keys or in different styles, you know? And if you hear, like, a really good musician play, like, a jazz rendition of... Uh, I, I heard um, not, not long ago... John Baptiste, who's uh, playing on uh, the, the Late Show these days, uh, a, a version of... Um, uh, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and he played in this jazz version. It was like, wow, I'd never heard that melody played in quite mm-hmm. that way before. And to see other people play it, you know, in, in different styles, and like, these are all playing the same tune, and in right context, you, you play it a different way. That in some ways, we're all called to be playing the same tune, but we'll play it in these different styles. And that means it's okay, then, to explore how someone who lived a thousand years ago or fifteen hundred years ago did things differently from how we might do things and discover we're all trying to play the same melody but we'll, we'll bring our own different musical style to it and that's okay so nobody has to force us all to be doing it identically. I think that's really important Steve because you know we each have our own walk with God our own individual walk with God and we have our own individual life experiences and so just because our life experiences don't line up exactly with 
you know, a saint that we'd really like to, that we really admire right. or that we'd really like to live up to their example, like say we mess up in, in a way that they didn't, right. doesn't mean that, you know, well, fine, I'm done. I'm, you know, and right. God's done with me. Right. right. It right. just means, you know, okay, so I messed up. Let's get back on the path and try, you know, right. try to continue in this way. And, and I think that's helpful too. When we take a look at the lives of people who do make a big mark on our, on our faith. Uh, it's, so to borrow your, your example of mother Teresa of Calcutta, you know, the temptation is to go like, oh, well, she went to India and she served mm-hmm. the uh, untouchables there. Therefore, the only way I can be a follower of Jesus is I, I have to do what she did. I have to either go to India or find lepers or, you know. And no, it, in my context, who are the people who are the untouchables around living? Mm-hmm. Where is God sending me? And that might mean having to go half a world away, but it might mean I'm called to go right in my own backyard. And um, that we're not just called to duplicate or be cookie cutter copies, but to play the same tune in whatever style of music is, mm-hmm. is ours to play it in. Um, or, again, to treat it like family stories, that there should be a family resemblance across Uncle Phil the astronaut and second cousin Mary Sue, who was the brain surgeon, and me and my ordinary whatever I do. Um, but it's okay that we're different and we do things differently. And maybe that's a piece we, as people who aren't from the Roman Catholic tradition, need to recover. Like, we've sometimes lost something by not spending time telling the stories of people in, our, in the, in the mm-hmm. big family tree story of, of the, the church. The thing I really like about learning from the saints is the canonized Catholic saints are, they're often the patron saints of certain things. Right. And I think that's kind of a nice way to relate to them in the sense that, like, there is a patron saint from uh, for those who are repentant murderers. <laughs> like, and while that has absolutely no bearing on my life, I have never murdered anybody. <laughs> but say I had, like, it would be kind of a nice thing to have this saint that I could then relate to in a way that I wouldn't necessarily be able to relate to, like, my grandmother, the yeah, saint, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, or, you know, a, we don't have to go to quite the extremes of repentant murderers, but there's, you know, a patron saint for barbers. There's a mm-hmm. patron saint for um, candle makers. Like, pretty much anything, there is a patron saint. Right, right, right. And so it, it might not necessarily be, oh... Mother Teresa is a really great saint. Let me model my life after her. But here is my life. Is there a saint that has gone through something similar that I might be able to relate to Mm -hmm. and might be able to learn something from? Um, Again, not modeling my life completely after that saint, but at least there might be a saint that in this particular regard my life might be similar and might be able to be relatable and in that regard, then, then the the stories and the lives of those who've gone before us become sort of a reminder that we're not alone. That whatever it is mm-hmm. that we're facing, that one, we're not the first person to go through whatever it is. And also there's other people who've been on the same journey and mm-hmm. struggled in similar ways. Um, and I, I think that maybe is a really important and countercultural message for this era, this time in our lives as church. Because we can be so individualistic and can be so sort of... Like, nobody's ever gone through this before. I'm the only... Like, no, it turns out in 2,000 years, there have been people who struggled with how to be a candle maker and a follower of Jesus, or how to be a repentant murderer, or, you know, that there are... There's this there's this humbling thing of, oh, yeah, I, I'm not the first one. I'm, I, we sometimes imagine that, like, we're, we're uh, super special because nobody's ever gone through what I've gone No, other people have, and here's mm-hmm. how they navigated it. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe even to go, here are things I can learn from their experience, as well as here are places where they messed up, and... They even offer that to me as, like, you can learn from this as well. I, I, I think those are important um, lessons for us in this moment, too. 
And finding those everyday saints that we encounter that have gone through those kind of things, too. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the beauties of of not just this podcast, but the relationships I have with Steve and Sarah outside of this is, you know, our collegiality as pastors. Mm -hmm. Yes, you both are Lutheran, I'm Methodist, and so, you know, it looks a little bit different the Mm -hmm. way we do church and the way, you know, our polity and all that, but we, we get one another because we're all clergy, and so I can look at you two as examples, as, you know, living saints, and say, you know what, oh yeah, Steve, I know, has gone through a situation like this in, in his church in the past. I'm going to talk to him about that. Yeah, yeah. And it, that can happen across, you know, it doesn't have to just be clergy. Yeah, exactly. You know, it can be, you know, a lady, it can be anyone. Yeah. You know, somebody that just has a similar story to yours. And I think one of the temptations that we come from Protestant branches, because we can be so, so focused on uh, cutting away all the distractions. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. All about Jesus. Which I'm pro Jesus here, but the temptation can be here to, to to hear that as it's just me and Jesus, and there's nobody else that is there for guidance. But to say no, in this life, one of Jesus' gifts is that He puts us in this community with other people around us, and that it's not cheating, and it's not wrong, or it's not inauthentic to learn from each other, mm-hmm. and that we share things with each other. The New Testament gets that because it assumes that when Paul writes, it's never just to one person, or it's rarely one person, but at, even when he writes individual letters are to people who are leaders in whole congregations. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of we're in this together. And there's so much about the kind of Christianity that we're uh, surrounded in that is just sort of a you and your, it, we use that language of it's you and your personal relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus as though it's sort of a private relationship with Jesus uh, as, as opposed to we live in community. And the same Jesus that I know, oh, what do you know? He knows you and he knows you and he knows you and he knows other people and that we're in this together. Mm-hmm. We're not great at remembering that. And sometimes conversation about those who've gone before us and the saints are part of that big cloud of, of witnesses keeps us remembering that. I was just going to mention the great oh, cloud. Tell, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the cloud, because it's, it's not the cloud that most people talk about. Yeah, yeah it's... it's um, downloading things from clouds. It, it's one of my favorite All Saints readings. Mm. Um, it, it only comes up once every three years in the Revised Common Lectionary, which I know you don't use, Erica, but uh, Steve and I both do. And it refers to the great cloud of witnesses as those who are guiding us in our faith. Mm-hmm. And... I like to imagine that that includes those who we personally know still, who Mm -hmm. are still here with Mm -hmm. us, who are still saints, who are still guiding us, Um, whether that be teachers, pastors, parents, friends, colleagues, whomever, as well as those who guided us when we were younger, who have now died, or even those who we might not have known personally, but it still influenced our faith because we read their writings or knew somebody who knew them who still teaches what they taught um but that this great cloud of witnesses is ever expanding and and enormous and all-encompassing um because my great cloud of witnesses overlaps with yours erica and it overlaps with yours steve and together it makes this rather large cloud of witnesses and that um, that reading connects with the hall of Fa- hall of faith from Hebrews. Mm-hmm. That's where all this is, is found. And you know, as you look at the hall of faith and you look at the people that are listed there, and, and we've mentioned this before, the, the Bible does not whitewash people's mistakes. Right. Which is why you know, one of the reasons that I am a Christian because you know this faith does not whitewash mistakes. It it just tells you flat out how things are. And in that list are some really messed up people. Right. I mean, right. they did some really great things. <clears throat> But, you know, Abraham came really close to sacrificing his son. Partially, right. you know, God called him to do that. But, you know, uh, but you've got David, who was a murderer. And, you know, you have all these folks. you got Gideon, who, you know, um, doubted God and tested God. 
you know, and so it makes me, you know, whether they're the saints of today or recent history or of ancient history, it tells me, you know what, yeah, we all mess up sometimes. And I think it's, it's possible for us to be honest and to hear that part of the story when we picture that we belong to this community that's a lot closer to a family than a company. You know, like you picture when you work for a company, you stay in it long and if you get promoted, you get higher up, higher up, and it's a lot about rank and prestige and who's, you know, closer to the top and calling the shots. And there is never a point where you get, like, you know, promoted up to being God or vice God. There's none of that. If we're in a family, yeah, as you get older, you get different responsibilities and you can look up to your older brothers and sisters and be like, oh, well, I don't have to make the same mistakes they made. I can make my own mistakes or I can learn from them. But that sense of my belonging is not at stake. I, I belong in the family. That's a given. That's grace. And because of that, then, all my life in the family is kind of learning how to be a part of that family, but there's never this fear of if you don't measure up, if you're not good enough, you'll, you won't make the cut, you'll be out. And sometimes in church history, and you know, 2,000 years of doing this, we, we church folk have spoken poorly like that, and we've made it sort of sound like you got to make the cut. If you're not good enough like so-and-so, out you go, you're not one of the good ones. But instead to see the, the family of God, that cloud of witnesses as like family, and that these are all these faces cheering us on. That's part of that image in that cloud of witnesses. You know, with such a cloud of witnesses around us, let's run the race that's set before us. So it's almost like here's this crowd of people cheering as you're running the race, and there are people who have run the race too. So it's like I've been there where you've been, and I'm cheering you on. It's not competitive. It's not a, who's going to win this. It's, we're all in this, and the, the goal is just to get to the finish line, not who's going to win, win a bigger prize. But it's not about promotions. It's, it's a lot more like being in a family. I think, too, you, you said something really cool a second ago, Sarah, that stuck with me, is that um, so many of these stories are people who either, you know, we knew or once upon a time somebody knew and loved this person that even if I'm removed from them by centuries, I can appreciate other people's lives, you know, have been touched by, by you know, whether whether they're big names that everybody recognizes, you know, St. Francis of Assisi or Mother Teresa or Joe Schmo. There's this line... At the tail end of Mark's gospel, when Jesus is about to carry the cross, and they give the cross to Simon of Cyrene. And in Mark's gospel, Mark gives this weird aside. He goes, Simon of Cyrene, you know, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And you never, I mean, like, Alexander and Rufus never get mentioned ever again in the whole rest of the Bible. Um, but it's clear, like, Mark knows who Alexander and Rufus are, and presumably his readers do too, and it's almost like this, you know, this was Alex and Rufus's dad. And they're like, for, for Mark and his... Uh, community. This is like, these are real lives, real stories, that even though I have no recollection who, yeah, I couldn't tell you what Simon, anything else about Simon or Simon, other than his name was Simon, and he was from Simon. Um, and, and he I had don't two know, kids. Yeah, he had at least two kids. But the, these were lives that somebody else knew, somebody else remembered, and there's a sense of we're connected to this story, that in a sense, we're sort of also runners in this long relay race, that our story goes back to people who are there, who are there, you know. Uh, that's, that's maybe how we as different people on uh, different branches of the, of the Protestant family tree and the Christian family tree um, can talk about these stories, that these are lives of people who mattered, and we can own both the beautiful things and also the ugly things and say God calls them beloved and holy, while also being full aware, fully aware of all the messy stuff that's a part of their stories, too. I like that you called it a relay race, Steve, because it makes me realize, you know, this is a race that's still going. Yeah. We're still in the midst of it. So sometimes, you know, we're, we're fighting to, to beat out, you know, to be the better person or whatever. That's not necessarily the point of a relay race. Right. You have right. to work as a team together. Right. And the three of us, along with all other Christians that are living currently, we're in the middle of this race. Yeah. It is not done yet. And and the thing that, that I want to piggyback on there is, like, that, that also means that not just looking backward, 
but looking forward to it. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about when when we take time in the church here to, to celebrate all saints is not only to look backward at those who have, have died, in particular sometimes it's our tradition to look at those who've died in the last year, but to think about there's people whose stories, they haven't even been born yet, and they will be a part of this family, yeah. and mm-hmm. that... From God's perspective, they've always been a part of the family. There's this sort of from God's divine, beyond eternal perspective, uh, they belong, and that people who who I haven't met yet, their faith will shape mine, and my faith will shape that, that we have this way of being. And at some point, it will be our job to hand the baton off to whoever comes next. And at the same time, there are people living currently who I will never meet till we get to glory, who are also part of the family tree too. And that, like, sometimes we get real parochial and sort of narrow and like, well, you know, people who are like us, you know, you know, Christians like us, you know, we Pennsylvania Christians or we American Christians, like we're the real church when we forget, oh, there's a whole lot more followers of Jesus all around the world, and it's really, really easy to dismiss them or forget them, and it's just the people who matter are saints are the people I know, the people who I know who, who are in my life, and like, no, it turns out God cares and God loves those people half a world away too, um, and that they matter from wherever they're coming from. Um, that's a difficult thing for us to process, because it's humbling, and we have this way of wanting to make ourselves the center of the universe. Um, but I think... Anytime we talk about the saints from this kind of perspective, it helps us be in that rightful place. If we get to belong in the family, but it's a real big family. Um, okay, so we, we, we're trying to lay the groundwork because in the coming episodes, we're going to be talking in particular about uh, several particular people remembered as saints in the life of the church, whether in a, an official, processed, canonized kind of a way or in a more loose, informal kind of a way. Um, but maybe it's worth unpacking, too, why particular people's days or people get remembered on particular days. And this is one of the things I think is really a cool witness of the church that um, is, sounds like inside baseball, but it's really, really cool. And that's the, the reason that people uh, have their, people who are remembered as saints, their saint days on a particular day, has to do with their death, right? Yeah, it's when they die. Um, so the first saint that we're going to talk about next week is St. Nicholas. And his saint day is December 6th. And that's because that's what, that's when he died. And sometimes we know specifically this is exactly what day right. he died. And then other times it's a bit fuzzy. And so it's sometimes a guess as to, well, we think this person died around this day. So yeah. we're going to just pick this day and this yeah. is now his day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about St. Nicholas, uh, St. Lucia, and then Katie Luther. And we'll talk as we get to each of those about why we picked them, although part of the timing is that the days on which they died fall in the coming weeks here in, the, in what will be yeah. the, the month of December. Um, but the thing I think is cool about that is that uh, as much as our culture these days tends to run away from talking about death or to treat it like, well, we have to sort of gloss over it or we don't talk about it or we ignore it or uh, we get over it as quickly as possible and move on to something else, that the, the, there's wisdom in the idea of not being afraid of talking about the days mm-hmm. that people die, but say this is also a, a triumph for them. And the New Testament kind of has that sense too. I mean, Paul, when he talks about people dying, he ta- he, the verb he uses is usually to fall asleep. You know, that it's, it's to die is, is, is uh, he will often use the actual verb for sleeping um, as a way of saying de- death is isn't something we have to be afraid of. There's this promise that, that those who have died are at rest in God and are present in, in, in God's eternal presence now. Uh, so we don't have to be um, despairing. We can, we can miss the people who were separated from. But instead of saying, let's not think about the sad part of their life or let's not think about the fact they died, we can say, no, there, there's something triumphant. There's something about um, 
if you picture it like a relay race, they're part of the relay race, their leg of the race is done, they're, they're no longer huffing and puffing, they're done with that. And th- there can be a sense of completion and of rest and of celebration of, you know, well done, that good and faithful servant. Um, so as we talk about Nicholas and Lucia and Katie and others, um, and, and as, as we have this conversation in the coming weeks, I mean, we want to invite you as you're listening, I mean, think about the people in your life story, whether people you know or people whose stories were handed on to you, whether from a long, long time ago or just a generation or two before, and I think that that that's a part of this this whole big web of, of the people we call saints. Some whose stories are really, really helpful to talk about, and some whose stories maybe you know and you get to tell as they're all about trying to sing the same song, just in a whole bunch of different keys. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we need to say to set the groundwork for our conversation about saints coming up? Do we need to touch base on what Advent is? Yeah, let's spend a moment, because, again, we church nerds are like, oh yeah, Advent! Mm-hmm. Uh, what, give us a little how, how would you describe what, what's Advent all about? So Advent is the season that is right before Christmas. So it is the four weeks preceding Christmas, and then Christmas doesn't actually start until Christmas Eve, which is the evening of December 24th. And then it goes for Epiphany, which is January 6th. 6th. And maybe this is, again, a moment for us to say... um, we, we all readily uh, will acknowledge that there's nothing in the Bible that decrees you have to celebrate so many days of Christmas, you have to have so many candles on your Advent wreath, and here's the color they ought to be. But these are traditions that are, if they're helpful, they're worth holding on to. And if they get in the way, it's worth reminding ourselves, yeah, there's nothing written in stone that you have to have this or this or this or this. But they're useful. And again, we come from traditions in, in part of the, the Protestant Christian family tree that, at least I, as I see it, at our best, are able to be honest and say, we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. If there are things that these are useful useful uh, uh, traditions or if there's useful things that can help build up our, our, our faith or our piety, yeah, hold on to them, uh, as, as long as we're also clear that these things do not impress God. I mean, one, one of Luther's regular drums that he would beat is, do any of these, you can remember whoever, whatever saint you want to remember, that's fine. You know, tell their stories, remember, and talk about how they reflected the light of Christ in your life, that's great. Do the Advent thing, do the chanting, do the singing, organ music, whatever, but let's not for a moment think that these are things that impress God. For that matter, just like you know, me helping some lady across the street doesn't. This is not about impressing. This is it's not like that. We're not in a company. We're in, we're not up for promotion. We belong in a family, and it's about more and more and more. How do we come to reflect the family resemblance of being followers of Jesus and part of the family uh, of Christ? But there's there's no worry about um, have we impressed God enough with our. Uh, religiosity. Uh, if there's one thing Jesus seems to be clear on in all the Gospels is that he is not impressed with anybody's show of religiosity. And it's not just that he's not impressed with first century religiosity. He isn't impressed with 21st century religiosity either. Um, but that said, things like marking out seasons can help us give a focus to, okay, as we get ready for telling the story about Jesus first coming and about his coming in glory, what will help us get in the right mindset for that? And so this whole season, the the word Advent just comes from the Latin for coming. Where, uh, so it's mm-hmm. about Jesus coming, uh, and both about that coming in the manger and about the promise of his coming again. And what things, what stories, what, what uh, things will help us be focused on that. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're headed. Yeah, Advent always reminds me of pregnancy. Because yeah. you are actively waiting for Christ's coming, yeah. which is, you know, during Christmas. And so when you're pregnant... That's often what you're doing. You're just kind of 
waiting, but you're not like just sitting still while you're waiting. You're still living out your life. You are mm-hmm. still, um, your body's doing weird things and like just doing it on its own. Mm-hmm. And as well as you are in theory preparing for this baby coming. So you might be putting together a room, you might be putting together clothes, um, you know, assuming that you're keeping the baby, but you know, like you're doing all of these things while you're waiting. And that's kind of what Advent is, is you are waiting for Christ's coming, whether it's the remembrance of Christ's birth Mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago or waiting for Christ's coming again. But you are waiting, but it's an active waiting. Yeah, I like that image, that that it's not just sitting on our hands, twiddling our thumbs, but there's stuff to do because of this promised future Mm -hmm. that we live in light of that in the meantime. And I think that's definitely how the how the Bible talks about the how do we live knowing Jesus is coming. There's never a point where any of the Bible says, sit on your hands, do nothing. But it's always Jesus is coming. In the meantime, do the kinds of things that fit with the, the character of people who are followers of Jesus. Yeah. So uh, we'll be looking in the coming weeks at some of the life stories of people who tried to do that with their lives. And we'll take a look at what things they might have to teach us from their strengths, from their failures, from their weaknesses, and from their beautiful points as well as their their, uh, rough edges as well. Um, And we hope you can join us in the future. Next time we'll be talking about good old St. Nick. Thanks, everybody. Bye. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.